I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ah, good old Star Trek. Always friends with everyone, never falling out, never causing any issues. Certainly never. Yeah. I'm Sean here for Trek Culture, and here are eight Star Trek episodes that pissed off other franchises. Number eight, Our Man Bashir versus MGM. Jumping in with one of the most famous ones, Our Man Bashir was the fourth season episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that pays a loving tribute to the spy genre, though of course it most closely resembles the work of Ian Fleming. Alexander Siddig described the episode as The Spy Who Loved Me, From Russia Was Love, Octopussy and DS9 all rolled into one. The episode aired one week after the release of GoldenEye, Pierce Brosnan's first movie as the famous spy. This was an attempt to capitalise on the resurgence of Bond. Thankfully for Star Trek, GoldenEye revived the franchise and was extremely well received. Unfortunately for Star Trek, MGM got wind of what had happened and a very angry letter was sent to the producers. While the DS9 companion doesn't disclose what was actually in the letter, Ronald D. Moore simply said that MGM did not find imitation that flattering. This left the writers a little gun-shy about using overt Bond references in the future, so when the program next appeared in Season 5's A Simple Investigation, the references were toned down significantly, avoiding another run-in with the rival studio. Number 7. Beyond the Farthest Star versus Lost in Space Look at those smug animated characters there. That's probably exactly what was going through Irvin Allen's mind in 1971. Allen created Lost in Space, Star Trek's perceived rival for sci-fi television in the 60s. Lost in Space was cancelled in 1968, one year before Star Trek finished with Turnabout Intruder in 1969. However, Lost in Space had continually beaten Star Trek in the war over ratings. Added to this, CBS originally bought Lost in Space, turning down Gene Roddenberry and Herb Solo's pitch for Star Trek. Funny about how these things come around at full circle, but back at this time, Lost in Space had succeeded where Star Trek had failed. However, the commission of Star Trek the Animated Series was a sign that Star Trek had a far greater staying power than Lost in Space did. This was supported by the growth in conventions and eventual green light for Star Trek the motion picture. Without doing anything over to take down the rival show, Star Trek ended up getting the last laugh over Lost in Space in this period of history. At least Bill Mummy, the original Will Robinson, would go on to appear in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Although they did kill him. So who's to say if the bad blood has really ended? Number 6. Star Trek First Contact versus First Contact. Uh, okay, yes, 
we know Star Trek First Contact is not an episode. However, Star Trek First Contact is the second Next Generation era film and is generally regarded as one of the best Trek movies to date. It features the return of the Borg, the depiction of the first meeting between humans and the Vulcans, and, best of all, the Enterprise E makes its glorious debut. It was seen as a marked improvement on Star Trek Generations, which had suffered a bit at the box office and with its critical reception. However, after the release of the film, Paramount Pictures were slapped with a lawsuit from the estate of Murray Leinster. The lawsuit alleged that Star Trek First Contact violated trademark protections on Leinster's 1945 novella, First Contact. This novella, ironically, won a retrospective Hugo Award in 1996, and is generally accepted as the origin of the term Universal Translator. The Eastern District of Virginia found that the phrase First Contact as applied to alien encounters may very well have originated with Leinster in 1945. However, since that time, this term had moved on to common use as a way to describe the initial meeting between mankind and extraterrestrial beings. The court ruled in favour of Paramount Pictures. Number 5. Dawn vs Enemy Mine Dawn is a second season episode of Enterprise that is generally regarded as one of the weakest offerings of the seasons, perhaps of the entire show overall. Trip is attacked by an alien vessel, though both then crash land on an inhospitable world. Together, they must find a way to cooperate or risk dying of exposure and dehydration before rescue. There is one problem immediately. The episode is a remake of Darmok, which is often regarded as one of the best episodes of Star Trek in its entirety. However, fans of Barry B. Longyear were quick to point out that the episode wasn't simply a remake of that episode, it owed a lot to the 1985 film Enemy Mine, starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. The film was based on Longyear's 1980 novella of the same name. Though Enemy Mine dealt with a much longer time period, the episode's plot followed more or less the early parts of the script, stopping short of having Trip and Zokan spend three years living with each other on the planet. This episode earned harsh reviews from critics, with its writer John Scheiben being labelled a plagiarist as well. Number 4. Profit and Loss vs Warner Brothers Profit and Loss is a second season episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that takes Quark firmly and puts him in the front seat, for once depicting him as the romantic lead of the episode. His old flame, Professor Natima Lang, arrives on the station with her students, Hogue and Raquelin. They are fleeing from the Cardassian government, though Quark gets caught up in a plot involving revolutionaries, spies and warring governments. Quark is Rick Blaine, Lang is Ilsa Lund, and the plot is entirely based on the film Casablanca, which is arguably the most romantic film ever made. Take a hike, The Notebook. The plots are so close to each other, in fact, that the original title of the episode was going to be Here's Looking at You. Warner Brothers were having none of it, and the episode was quickly retitled on the threat of legal action. Actual story was vague enough without the direct reference to get away with being made. Having the title be an actual line from the film? Absolutely not. The episode's ending is pretty much a direct lift from the film, with even Garrick getting into the fun playing the part of Captain Louis Renault. It's a fun, romantic example of gently lifting a plot and dropping it into the 24th century. Number 3. Distant Origin vs Jurassic Park Distant Origin is a third season episode of Star Trek Voyager that is generally regarded as one of the strongest overall scripts in the show's seven season run. The plot follows Professor Gagan, a Galileo-esque academic who is on a quest to prove that his species, the Voth, are descended from mammals on a far off world. That world happens to be Earth, and while it isn't mammals they are descended from, it is in fact the dinosaurs, specifically the Parasaurolophus. The episode aired on the 30th of April 1997, four years after 
after the release of Jurassic Park and roughly one month before the release of The Lost World Jurassic Park. This episode directly contradicts both films as Janeway and the Doctor categorically state that the Hardrosaurs were cold-blooded creatures. The Jurassic Park franchise maintained that they were warm-blooded, which was in keeping with scientific trends that had originated in the 70s with the discovery of the Dionychus. Though there is little evidence that the Jurassic Park franchise was in any way adversely affected by the episode, it was an example of Star Trek seemingly going out of its way to be different from one of the most successful franchises, or at the time, movies, of all time. Number 2. Elementary Dear Data versus Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Estate Elementary Dear Data was the second season episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that landed the show in a bit of bother. In it, Data plays Holmes, Geordi plays Watson, and the villainous Professor Moriarty makes his first appearance. However, when the writers were working on the episode, they mistakenly thought that the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had passed into the public domain, when this actually wasn't the case. When the episode aired, the estate of Doyle got in touch with Paramount Pictures. They informed the company that the estate still held a percentage of the rights to the characters, therefore they would require a fee if the episode was ever to receive a sequel. The legal issues surrounding this took a further three years to rectify. By the time they were fully sorted, the production was underway on the show's sixth season. The episode Ship in a Bottle was drafted, featuring the return of Professor Moriarty, who had been kept in a static state for the previous few years. There was an explanation given on screen as to the unusual delay, though really, it all came down to the courts. Number 1. Emissary vs Babylon 5 J. Michael Straczynski began working on his idea for Babylon 5 in 1986. He pitched the idea to Paramount Pictures, who declined. Warner Brothers would later give him the green light and production began on the pilot episode, The Gathering, in 1992. While the show was filmed quickly, the post-production process took longer than their Star Trek counterparts, which resulted in The Gathering airing seven weeks later than Emissary. While Straczynski has always remained diplomatic in the way he spoke about the two shows, he felt that Paramount Pictures was certainly guided by his brief for Babylon 5 when it came to Deep Space Nine. He asserts that Rick Berman and Michael Piller weren't at fault, as he believes they couldn't have known about his script for the show. However, there were some similarities particularly singled out. A space station near a transit hub, head of the station is a commander, not a captain, female second in command, a central marketplace including a casino, the station contains diplomats, merchants and the like, both feature characters who could change their shape. While he stopped short of taking any sort of legal action against Paramount, the two shows were definite rivals on the television circuit in the 90s with fans to this day split as to which one was the better show. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.